Welcome, you're listening to the Media Talk 101 podcast. Media Talk 101 is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to teaching media discernment in the light of following Christ. Visit our website, mediatalk101.org, where you can find helpful articles, videos, and other helpful resources. You can also visit our documentary website, CaptivatedTheMovie.com, to learn more about our award-winning documentary, Captivated. And if you want to look at one more website while you're at it, you can visit CWVFF.com, which is for Christian Worldview Film Festival.com, to learn more about our annual film festival hosted by Media Talk 101. I'm your host, founder and director Philip Telfer. I'm in the studio once again with my friend and co-worker Rhett Simpkins. Rhett, welcome back to our monthly podcast. Thank you. It's good. Good to be back. Well, and uh, am I right or is today your birthday? You are right. It is. Well, happy happy birthday. Guess what little birthday bird uh, told me that it was your birthday. Who's that? Well, I sh- certainly didn't have it marked on my calendar because uh, I'm bad at that kind of thing. Uh-huh, <laughs> so, so am I. <laughs> these, so people's birthdays just generally slip by. Um, so the birthday bird happened to be our uh, faithful Skype here. Oh, <laughs> so wow. <when> I, <laughs> I didn't know I had that in, on there. Well, you know, when I logged into Skype, it's just they know so much about you and it came up and it says... Did you know, or today is Rhett's birthday. So happy birthday, Rhett. Thank you. How old are you? 29. 29. Wow. And you were how old when I first met you? 13. 13. So man, I've known you more years than I haven't. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So, well, once again, happy birthday. Hope that you have a blessed birthday. By the time our podcast listeners hear this, uh, you're two days late because this comes out on Thursday and we're recording this on Tuesday. But it's not too late to send Rhett a bir- your birthday wishes and blessings. You can send that to podcast at mediatalk101.org and uh, drop Rhett just a quick note. Tell him happy birthday. I'm sure he'll be blessed. Now, the other thing we need to do is give an apology. I don't know if we need to apologize or not, but... Um, I realized today that this is going out on the fifth Thursday of the month. There's oh, five wow. Thursdays this month. Okay. Yeah, I thought we had said just the last Thursday of the month. I don't remember. Oh, you might be right. I don't, I don't remember apolo- exactly what we said. I don't need to apologize then. So no <laughs> apology. We said the it's Rhett, Rhett confirmed it. It's the last Thursday, not the fourth Thursday. So if you if you logged in last week hoping to see a podcast and didn't see it, well, you have to pay closer attention. It was not the last Thursday of the month. It was the fourth Thursday. But this is the fifth. And we have a great podcast planned uh, for the fifth Thursday of the month of July. So what's that going to be? Rhett, why don't you tell our podcast listeners what we've got cooking Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about a new documentary that came out just a few days ago um, called Video Games the Movie. Ooh, Video Games the Movie. I want to thank my friend uh, John Clay Burnett who uh, gave me the heads up on this uh, before it came out. So I signed up for the pre-release 
to watch it on iTunes. And it came out July 15th. It is produced by, produced and directed by a man named Jeremy Sneed. And if you've never heard of him, don't feel bad. I'd never heard of him before. Mm-hmm. But um, I was certainly anticipating this uh, documentary based on the based on the trailer i was convinced this was not going to be an anti-video game movie Mm -hmm. by any means but certainly kind of a pro video game so i knew that going into this and i knew that there would you know the perspective that would be presented would not necessarily be uh, the same perspective that we would hold on the subject, but nevertheless, it, it's a subject that interests me. So I really was uh, excited about seeing what they had to say about video games to see if there was anything thoughtful, uh, something that maybe I could glean and learn from. And, you know, there were a, a few things. But before we get started, I have some disclaimers to make before we uh, talk about video games, the movie. And, you know, the first thing is, this is a free country. I'm so blessed. Rhett, you're, you probably feel pretty blessed too, to mm-hmm. live in the United States where, you know, we individuals have the ability to be passionate about their interests. And so, you know, people certainly have that freedom. And my concern is certainly coming from a completely different perspective as a Christian as someone who has uh, studied the impact of media, not just on our culture, but on the spiritual well-being of families and individuals. So th- when I think about this subject, you know, I'm coming from a, I, I realize I'm coming from a completely different perspective than the filmmaker of this documentary. And so I, I, I don't want to uh, demean this, per- this uh, director as a person, uh, as a unique individual with that, their particular passions, but uh, in this free country, I also have the right to formulate my own opinions. And when it comes to the subject of video games, you know, my my first concerns uh, are really starts starts personally. You know, uh, I'm concerned about my relationship with God and how video games may affect that. You know, for the worse. I'm concerned about my relationship with my family and how video games could uh, negatively affect that. I'm concerned about my relationship with uh, other people in the church, as well as uh, my relationship and my labors with the gospel uh, in this world. I'm also concerned about the subjects of morality, you know, and biblical morality. I'm, I'm concerned about uh, the use of time, and uh, I'm, I'm concerned about philosophies and worldviews that are disseminated in media, including video games. I'm concerned about uh, the evidence of addictive habits in regard to video games, the fostering of escapism, and also my one of my greatest concerns is the false sense of accomplishment. Now, these are things we've talked about before, you know, and there's a podcast about my top five concerns about video games. You can go back in the archives and find that. But but those are all my personal concerns. But, but it goes beyond that because I'm not only concerned about myself, I'm concerned about my children growing up in this world. I'm concerned about their children in the future. They don't have any children yet, but uh, if the Lord tarries, you know, and they begin their families, I'm concerned about my children's children, their future. I'm concerned about 
the the people in our church. You know, I'm a pastor of a small flock. You know, and I'm concerned about uh, the people in the church and, and even extended beyond that as I travel on occasion and speak at conferences and other churches. And then I'm also concerned about uh, this world that has been uh, blinded. And that's what, towards the end of this podcast, I want to talk about what some things that God has been teaching me in his word as I've been studying through 2 Corinthians and that I believe really apply to this topic today as we as we address video games. Now, the reason I give all these disclaimers is it's possible uh, that, you know, when someone's searching the internet and they're looking for information on uh, video games, the movie, that, you know, they're going to might come across our, our podcast. And some of these people might be expecting um, some, you know, a review like you would find on other websites, just a generic uh, review of a, of a secular documentary. And maybe they are not familiar with who we are, Media Talk 101. So we want to give those disclaimers that we're a unique, small organization and, and we have a, a particular perspective in this. And I'm, you know, looking forward to interacting with you, Rhett, on what you thought about this movie. So let's, let's start. Let's start with first impressions. So let's start with the trailer. Did you watch the trailer, Rhett? Yes, I did. I remember one part of it where the guy was kind of talking about how he, well, I don't want to get graphic, but he was kind of graphic regarding playing video games with his friend. And so you could see in the trailer that um, it was in a positive light that he was referring to video games and then the violence in video games that just stuck out to me as, wow, I can't believe they put that in their trailer. (laughs) Yeah, well, and you can't judge a book by its cover, but certainly if someone watched our trailer for Captivated, you're going to get a good sense that, wow, these people are are more in the cautious (laughs) camp uh, in regard to media. And we certainly didn't focus on video games. We did address video games in that documentary, but it wasn't the sole focus. This, This entire documentary is about video games. My first impression when watching the trailer was certainly this is definitely a pro video game a documentary which is really going to reach out to you know the video game fans out there was my impression of course it could be wrong you know maybe that was just the teaser mm-hmm. to draw us in to deeper thinking about the subject of video games hmm. so i went ahead ordered the movie and and when i sat down to watch it i don't know about you but the first thing from a production standpoint, you know, because we've made a documentary before and have uh, been involved in filmmaking, I look at this from two sides, not only the content, but the production. But it opened up with a very long B-roll intro with music, mm-hmm. with with mm-hmm. No, <laughs> with seemingly no, I mean, there were, um, I don't even know if there were credits. I think it was about a minute long of just some b-roll and music and i thought this really doesn't draw me in this is quite lame i mean what what's supposed to be happening here and and then the title comes up you know and and some more b-roll and then another long credit intro which was basically uh, i thought just an obnoxious music video 
using video game B-roll, mm-hmm. you know, and a few, you know, they did put the director and the producer and some of the, some of the opening credits, but it was from a production standpoint, it, the, it looked like the focus was, we just want a music video and play some of our favorite video game B-roll to a song that we really like. And that went on, you know, for probably four minutes, mm-hmm. three, three or four minutes. And so already I'm not really digging this documentary. It's not, it didn't seem to be very thoughtful from the get-go. So after this, um, you know, music video intro, we get to the first interview finally. And like Captivated, you know, we th- we put in some of our kind of our themes you know, a few little sound bites from people to kind of whet their appetite with where this is all going. It followed a very, very similar format and had a few little bites of, of interviews. And so the first one we, we see is this, I love video games. That's the first thing we hear. And, and, the, and the guy was talking about how, you know, the experience he had with video games was, was the same as when he's watching a movie you know, that just captures his imagination. And then it cut to the next uh, the next interview where the person was talking about what he loved about video games is that it's this active, he's an active participant instead of just a passive observer, which does, you know, that is one of the appeals to video games, that you're not just uh, passively observing. Later on in the documentary, someone described it as, you know, movies are a, you know, a lean back kind of, engagement with media and video games are a lean forward. And I thought that was interesting, you know, just the level of engagement. And then it went to the next interview where I'll quote, the guy says, you know, video games are intrinsically linked into our culture in a way that's irrevocable. And certainly that's a true statement. Uh, I mean, that video games are here to stay. They're not going away. And uh, that's something that even a person who's not uh, enthusiastic about video games, I think, can recognize. But he went on to say something that I didn't agree with. And that was, he said, from here on, it goes deeper until they're just part of our lives in a way that we, we don't notice, you know, so that it just... It's like it's everybody's just going to be so enthusiastic about video games and they're going to be so, so integrated that nobody's really going to notice anymore. And that's where uh, certainly I had one of my early departures in disagreement that, you know, that's a pretty broad brush and, it, and not everybody is enthusiastic about video games and not everybody does succumb to this, this uh, craze uh, about this, you know, digital immersion. So that was that was interesting. And also, the next the, one of the next sound bites uh, in the interviews was a man named Randy Pitchford, who who says that video games have a really interesting role to play in the future of our species. Mm-hmm. So, so now I'm thinking, oh wow, you know, we're in for something here. And then. And then they went on to some statistics. Now, we did a similar thing. I like statistics. So I was excited when they jumped right into some video game statistics. What are some of the things that stood out to you, Rhett, when you saw those statistics? Well, I, it was interesting um, 
I was kind of taking note of what statistics they were highlighting and what ones they weren't. One of the things that they said was uh, 85% of parents are aware that uh, aware of ESRB ratings on video games and, uh, you know, kind of saying uh, these have been helpful for parents to make wise decisions in buying video games for their children. And so they were kind of making that case. And then they went from the ESRB ratings straight into a statistic about um, parental controls on the video game consoles themselves, and that 73% of parents believe that they're helpful and useful. And uh, so it seemed to me like some of the statistics were certainly in favor of promoting um, a positive outlook on video games, but they weren't um, all in line together. Like the next statistic after that was that 90% of the time parents are present when games are purchased or rented. And then the graphic that they had to go along with that statistic was a mother and a father and a child sitting down and it appeared that they would be playing a video game together. So what he was saying was that the parents are present when the games are purchased, but it almost gives you this feel-good feeling like, oh, you know, parents are really involved with their kids as they're playing these games. And I, I don't think that that was necessarily accurate well that's that's true in fact it's contradicted later on in the documentary in in one of their interviews when uh there they were ranting a little bit against uh those who are opposed to video games now we're going to talk about that section that very very short section Mm -hmm. (laughs) later on but but in that um you know one of the one of the interview one of the people being interviewed uh, said, hey, you know, parents, what's your problem? You're the ones leaving your children for 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so kind of this recognition of the culture of latchkey kids, uh, this this idea of the surrogate, you know, video games being a surrogate, not uh, in the life of, of children. And another interesting statistic was they said that parents impose time limitations on video games more than any other entertainment. And uh, wow, that's that's interesting. And my question was, why? What does yeah. that tell you about? Because I know that as I've traveled the country and have, have spoken with parents that are concerned about video games, and the reason they're concerned is because they see how uh, time-consuming they are to their children, how they become very addictive, or if addictive's too strong of a word, very habit, you know, producing mm. <laughs> toward toward uh, playing more and more video games to the point of uh, cr- causing conflict in the home. And that's usually when the parents come and start talking to me about the conflict in their home uh, centered around video games. And it's because they're, they're kids, that's all they think about. And that's all they want to do. And so certainly the fact that parents put time limitations wherever they got the statistic, uh, then, you know, it's, it's also an indicator that it's, it's in some ways more problematic in the home, but that was never really addressed. And in fact, this was pretty much, a the, the, the skewed statistics were almost like it was a brochure for the positives of, of video games. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was, there was a couple things I was already familiar with 
The average age of a video game player in America, they said according to the 2013 statistics, is 30 years old. And I've talked about this before, that number uh, fluctuates, you know, from year to year. It's been as high as 35 years old in the past, but uh, so according to their statistics, it's 30 years old. And that shocks some people. They think about that and they think, well, this is something children do. Well, yes, it is something that children do, but it fosters appetites and those appetites don't just go away. In fact, they grow. And that's why we see that that average age, once again, when you talk about an average age, that means there's there's more that are older above that. And so there are more that are younger, but that's right there in the middle. So 30 years old and the and the age of the most frequent game purchaser is uh, 35 years old. So this isn't just a subject that deals with children. It is also uh, something that affects adults. Now they went from the statistics, which I thought were were pretty lame for the most part. The graphics mm-hmm. were pretty slick. Uh, they did a, their motion graphics were fine, uh, but they went right from that into history, and also something that we did in Captivated. So they were following a, a good solid format for a documentary. It was something that interested me. In fact, the the history part of it I thought was some of the more interesting things. Mm-hmm. Much of it I was familiar with. Some of it was uh, new to me. But in that history, uh, what was there anything that stood out to you that you thought, wow, that's I didn't know that? Well, I didn't know anything about uh, Space War in the PDP-1, that first computer with a, a monitor where you could actually see something on a screen. That was fascinating to me. I didn't know the history there. Yes, likewise. For me, and that was 1962 at MIT. So they were. It was a, a video game that was the first video game that was designed for a computer with a, the first visual display. But I also found it very uh, interesting that the guy who invented Pong, I believe Al Elcorn was his name. He said later on in the history part that. Uh, all these places that had the PDP-1 computer, um, people were getting in trouble because they were spending so much time uh, wasting time playing that game rather than doing other things that the computer was designed for. And here you have it, the very first video game is already having that problem. Yes, and a pretty pretty basic game as mm-hmm. well. Not a, real, not a real complicated game, a, a game like Pong. But that certainly was anticipating the trajectory of video games to distract uh, from, in that case, you know, work that they were supposed to be doing. Of course, that changed. You know, the the, the world of video games has come a long way uh, since the, the history of Pong. And that was the other thing that they pointed out as they went through a timeline of video games very quickly, uh, that depth of story. And a word that, that, that comes up early on is immersion Mm -hmm. you know immersion in fact i counted at least six times in the documentary that that word was used it was probably used more than that you know i wasn't always ready to catch it and and jot it down in my notes but it but i know that i caught it at least six times where that was a focus was um, and part of the the rah-rah excitement about this was this immersive experience especially with these improved graphics and and really after this history it was i i'm interested in history so i i would have loved to get a little more information about the history but instead it seemed to be more 
instead of historical documentary, just nostalgic. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of this was nostalgia. And in the interviews, it was just people reminiscing about their favorite old games or uh, certain things. So, and, and the other thing that really drove me crazy is during these periods of nostalgia, just from a production standpoint, they would play entire commercials from the time, which was, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see clips of that, but to watch the complete 30 second commercial from the from the uh, late 70s or early 80s. Uh, it gets old, especially if you do it more than once. And there were several times when they played complete commercials. And I'm I'm sh- sure it was for nostalgic purposes, but it really didn't help the documentary in moving it along. And, and another, you know, that throughout this was not just the commercials, but multiple times during the documentary, they have these B-roll sequences to music, which are basically like music videos. And uh, it just drove me crazy because I think if you, the, the documentary is an hour and 45 minutes, so nearly the same length as Captivated. But uh, several of these sequences really weren't giving you any information. They were just, it was just eye candy, you know, uh, screen captures of gameplay and some music that the producers liked. So from there, you know, it went into the the more modern history of where where it's come from, from the early Pong to the the new games, and it went pretty quickly. I did learn something in that, and it was something really not that exciting to learn. But I mean, I just I have to say that I did learn something, and that was they were talking about uh, the the invention of the Xbox, mm-hmm. and they. You know, one of the PC guys for Microsoft uh, was working on their Direct X technology, which was for uh, gaming on PCs. And this idea of taking that technology and making it into putting it into an independent gaming console. There you have the Xbox. Well, that's I always kind of wondered where they mm-hmm. got the name Xbox. So it came from their API Direct X for uh, PC gaming, and I was familiar enough with the, with DirectX, you know, on PCs to know, like, oh, okay, well, that was interesting, but it's not certainly not life changing. Yeah. So, so what? Do you remember anything else that that uh, stuck out to you, Rhett, in that early section? Yeah. Well, I I guess I was I'm kind of a I, I like history too, and so I was fascinated by much of it, and a lot of it I didn't know. And of course, you know, I was born in the mid 80s. So um, the later part of the history, that was kind of nostalgic for me as well. So I can understand why they took that route, because I saw a lot of that and said, oh, I remember that. I remember that. And um, but I thought it was it was unfortunate that they did go so quickly through the history. And it seemed like as they would go through the timeline during one portion of the history and then come back to the timeline again, there were, there were an awful lot of things that um, it seemed like maybe they just breezed over. And I didn't feel like, um, you know, I understood a, a real in-depth history of video games. And I, I that may not have been what they were wanting to do anyway. But Well, um, you, you, you point out something that was, uh, which I thought was problematic in the documentary uh, altogether, was that they didn't really deal with anything mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in much depth. 
it it was like skimming over so many things without really digging in on any particular subject and that was very frustrating because uh, like you it's like well I'd like to I'd like to learn something here this is a documentary I mean mm-hmm. I want to I want to come away saying wow that was insightful that gave me uh, but but they skipped over and they went through this timeline and then they would come back and go through the timeline again uh, focusing on a different aspect of video games and they'd do that very quickly then they'd come back and go through the time in fact they went through the timeline I believe four times mm-hmm. uh, coming back again and it felt really disjointed but the the other thing that came up after this history sequence was something that was shocking and another example of of introducing an idea but really not developing it or or be even trying to be convincing there's just a lot of anecdotal statements a lot of personal opinions that are espoused without anything to really back it up it's like you're you're expected to believe everything you hear because they said it <laughs> you know and they said it enthusiastically and one of the big shockers was this this grandiose idea of of video games being an art form mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so you know this this wonderful art form which you know is very subjective in its uh, certainly video games utilize art forms you know you have music you have uh you have uh, animation you know these are certainly things but but when you start titling something in art form you know now we're now we're getting into to areas and once again, they didn't really develop that idea. They just had someone uh, introduce that idea and that concept without really developing it and then moving on to the next thing. And it kind of goes back to the way they did the statistics too. They just mentioned a couple things and it almost seemed defensive right from the get-go. Uh, like, well, we better we better say these now because I know that there's going to be um, you know some challenge to it. But like I was saying with that one that had a graphic that didn't quite fit, it almost made you feel like they did address it, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, even as they were talking about art form, they didn't even attempt to tie this in with any particular examples. Mm-hmm. You know, this And that was also something all throughout the documentary. They'd be making these sweeping statements, but really not trying to connect any dots anywhere, not trying to back it up with, with anything or show you an example of it. Uh, it was it was very um, I don't know it's just very mishmash through it and and once again it jumped from that right into the next thing now the next thing they jumped into I thought was pretty interesting they were talking about this next generation of video game players and here's another thing that I learned just because I haven't uh, I haven't placed as much attention on this recently as I have in the past and that is you know where all these changes and so they were talking about cloud computing and in relation to the new Xbox One, which I once again have pretty much ignored because it seems like every year or two they're coming out with new consoles. But this one did intrigue me in the in the concept of it because the the processing power for this device is actually in the cloud. And for those who understand that, or, or maybe you don't understand that, but that is you know when you talk about the internet, the so this nebulous term, but the net, but the internet and the World Wide Web and 
and all of this, just like the Media Talk website and the Captivated website, you know, that lives on on a uh, a computer server somewhere in some warehouse, <laughs> you know, and it's it, it's hosted by somebody, and so all the internet, you know, that it's there are actual computers out there, and there there are banks and banks and banks of these these computers and servers. And all this information is being stored and accessed by others through these various links all around the world. And so this concept of then taking the not just storage of information, but also the processing power of outside networks and linking them together to power a video game was very intriguing to me. And let me just quote from uh, a Microsoft employee Uh, Phil Spencer, who was talking about this, he says, there's more processing power in the cloud behind Xbox One than the complete processing power that was on the planet in the year 1999. Wow. And that shocked me. I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, that is is, uh, interesting. So because of all that processing power that is extended from just a single unit that lives in your house to now something that's connected to uh, innumerable computers, he says this this is given has given them the ability to put scenes on a screen that are beyond lifelike in some way. So that's the and that's the challenge. That was one thing that uh, is is a factor with video games. They touched on it briefly, but once again, they didn't touch on anything. Uh, very deeply, and one of the things they did not touch on very deeply uh, that would have interested me, and I think anybody that has an interest in video games, is how uh, the pursuit of getting better graphics and better gameplay, all of that has coincided with the development of stronger computers. They had just little tiny bits of information about you know, 8-bit, going to 16-bit, going to 32-bit, going to 64-bit, going to 128-bit, and and just vague references to uh, the better processors they had and the more powerful, the better the graphics have become. And that's all we got out of that. But but really, there's there's much more to that in that uh, it's, it's not just watching. I mean, there's a lot of... If you think about a, a Pixar film, you know, where you have... Uh, or or any of these uh, newer 3D animated type of films that are just stunning, visually stunning, and what they can do with the graphics today. But you cannot uh, put all of that power behind what created those graphics in a single little affordable box for a person's home use. Mm-hmm. But so what they're saying is is that we can put that power now, you know, in the cloud. And, and then people can access that through their Xbox One account. And, and then this, this processing power can be streamed to other devices other than a TV in your home. So it could be streamed to your iPad or to your, you could access it through your phone. And therefore, you know, if you think of a smartphone, which is a really powerful device, but not as powerful as, you know, one of these new school game consoles, you know, and its ability to put out graphics and process this information. So that's uh, that's that certainly is one of the game changers. It seems in video games is the uh, greater uh, these these new graphics and the ability to interact with these graphics, 
And that's one of the things that did come up in the documentary was the hope, you know, for the enthusiast. The hope is that the video games will become more and more like interactive movies. So you're, you're, it's not just sitting watching a movie, but you're actually interacting with that. And I, there's no doubt if that, that that's where this is all going. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, you know, and I was familiar with the cloud enough to track with what they were saying, but uh, one of the, I have a quote here. They said, anyone can play any game anywhere at any time with incredible speed. And I just like what you have now playing it on a smartphone or on other devices. Basically, that's just a receiver. And uh, now you can, you know, everything becomes accessible to you. Whereas a console, you know, you were limited. Yes. And that, you know, that was, uh, that's once again, this connectivity to the things that people want to do and the ways that they want to escape are, are going to just continue to increase. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing um, is I uh, the notes that I have that I took are are in the timeline of the film. So, so as I go through my notes, I'm just, this is what they jumped from one thing to the next. And the surprising thing is they talked about some different uh, statistics and other things about video games and, and where they've gone. They did mention that early on in the statistics that this is a huge industry. It started... Uh, 10 years ago, it was a $6 billion industry. Today, it's a, and 10 years later, it's a $24 billion industry, which is bigger than the music industry and bigger than the movie industry. Hmm. So that's, that's huge. But what I was surprised that they never talked about the various gaming records that have been set, which I like to quote because I think they're interesting like Halo, you know, the Halo 2 record that was set, and then the subsequent records after that, you know, when Halo 2 set the record of $170 billion in sales in 24 hours. That was not just a video game sales record, it was an entertainment industry sales record. So that was, I thought, boy, they're missing some of the good stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But then they went back through the timeline again and talked about, you know, they went back to the development of video games and the, the sales... And they had an interesting little story about E.T. Did mm-hmm. you remember this, Rhett? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I what's interesting about my history with the video games is we had the, growing up, we had the Commodore 64, which was our first console that played really uh, silly, uh, simple games. And then we, we got the Atari, you know, game system, which was one of the early ones. It wasn't until I was in high school that I bought the Nintendo uh, early Nintendo gaming system, but when we had the Atari, I remember that was a big thing because it was it was exp- the cartridges were expensive, the games were expensive, you know, and if your parents weren't you know uh, likely just to shell out a lot of money, which mine were not, you know, we would try to save up our money and buy a game. But they also in those days were you know you could they started renting games at the video stores, so I remember us being very excited to rent. This the newest game, E.T., you know, which was based on the movie. And so we rented it. And it's a good thing we rented it and didn't purchase it. Because if we'd have purchased it, we would have been really uh, upset at wasting our money. Because it was a really lame game. Mm. It was terrible. It was, it stunk. And it was, it was really not fun at all. And, and this actually came up in the doc. So this was an interesting little, um, 
oasis in this documentary, once again dealing with history. And what happened was video games had become very hugely popular, and more and more companies started getting into the mix, building their own kind of consoles and providing games. But the the problem was with this saturated video game market in the early 80s was that they began to get really sloppy. And, and that sloppiness ended up, you know, culminating with this, this Atari, you know, producing this game, E.T. And I think, I think they said six weeks is all the time they put into it. And it was such a huge flop that literally it, it caused the video game industry to come to a crash for a while. It was like a, it was like a stock market crash in the video games. And people, a lot of people lost heart and uh, they, they literally were filling landfills with these unsold cartridges. And so I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. And it, and it actually, as far as production, had one of the few little thoughtful sequences in the entire documentary. And that was, as they were talking about the video game industry going down, they did show little clips of some of my old favorite video games like Pac-Man and Pitfall and Asteroids, you know, of the characters all dying. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. And, and what was... But what's noticeable about that is that there wasn't much thoughtfulness in production throughout the documentary. Mm. That was one little gem where they connected their subject with uh, what they were actually talking about. And I thought it was clever, but there wasn't much else clever uh, in the rest of the documentary. So I'll give them kudos where I can. But then after this uh, this video game stock market crash, so to speak, uh, someone came in and saved the day. Do you remember who that was, Rhett? What yes, I do. It was Nintendo that kind of came in and introduced a new concept to video games, and I thought that was interesting to learn. And was this was this your era of video games, or are you still in diapers? It was. Well, I was in diapers, but that's what we started on. I had an NES. That was our first uh, video game system. Okay. See, I got out of, you know, I, I got saved and started living real life, you know, at the age <laughs> of 17. And, uh, and and that the only, you know, the, the new kid on the block was the NES. After that, you know, the Sega and all of those, I had no interest in. So I lost lost track of video games for many, many years. So what was what was the game changer there? What did, what did they point out that that they changed that really got people excited again about playing video games? Yeah, it was what you brought up before that idea of immersion, and it was to basically be playing a specific character, not just a random, um, you know, spaceship or object, but something that you would connect with. And it brought up in the documentary this idea of a story element within video games yeah so they did they did make a good point that you know back in the days of asteroids or space invaders you know you're just manipulating pixels and you've got these alien ships coming down and you're shooting them but you don't really know why <laughs> you know mm -hmm. you're shooting them you don't know why they're why they're even dropping down from the sky so there's not really a story there you know it's it's essentially a game but now they they you're playing as a character you know, and then there's a story involved, and now you're engaged because you you not only want to win the game, you know, and and get past the particular elements or whatever. You want to kind of know how does this all play out. You know, it's like it's like uh, a movie, you know, that you you get invested in and you want to see the end. 
And of course, that becomes part of the immersion and investment into a game. And as those stories have built, I don't remember. I remember when uh, Super Mario came out and then Super Mario 2. And and I believe by the time Super Mario 2 came out, you know, we went out, I went out and bought the game and we, we spent the whole weekend playing it. That's all mm. we did was play it until we finished it, you know, but I don't know how many hours I invested, but it was not anywhere near what the newer games, which have 40 to 60 hours of gameplay before you can get to the end. So that's, uh, but that it all began with Nintendo. The other, the other thing that was brought up in some of the interviews that began to, to really appeal to people was this, not only an immersive experience and becoming a character. So now we're getting into the avatar, the idea of escapism, mm-hmm. the idea of, of living vicariously through another character. But also what one inter- interviewer said, uh, this otherworldly experience. And this is where you know things begin to interest me in understanding what is it that's so attractive? What is it that's so addictive? What is it that, that really causes a generation of young people to to waste so much time to become immersed in a game so they they be it's the investment you know in being invested in the game and also the the game makers learning how to craft games and stories in such a way as to draw people in and now then there was another big shift no, nothing stayed on anything too long and they went to a, a big shift to PC gaming. And I don't know if... Do you remember that, Rhett? Uh, I remember some of the... You know, it, they did kind of another long um, eye candy scene of a lot of the video games that I remember that were PC games. But Okay. Yeah, but other than that, there was really not much that was said about them. And there was a lot that was not said about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So you got, you got some... Um, you you have maybe a brief reference to World of Warcraft, but that that I mean you had to be really paying attention and possibly watch the documentary twice to even catch that. And but but basically they just blow past the whole thing and go into the culture of gaming. Now here we go. You know now I'm really interested. This is another subject that I really want to know. I want to learn something about this culture of gaming. And they went back through the timeline again to 1972. And do you remember? what what they introduced as happening in 1972. Yeah, they talked about a um, kind of a, I guess it was a championship or a tournament of that space war game, right? Yes, yes, that's right. So that early video game uh, that was developed at MIT and played on that particular computer. Uh, so they organized the first video game competition. And, and since then, you know, there have been these competitions. Now, that was something I was very, very interested in. And and they just gave me nothing but a few screenshots of uh, people playing games. I have a quote a little bit later uh, from from an interview that happened uh, towards the end of, of the documentary. But there, they didn't really say much about it other than, you know, some of the some of the positives, you know, this, the idea of community, you know, this gamer community, uh, loyalty, and then getting into some of the most ridiculous, there were some, there were several ridiculous moments in this documentary, but this one has to be towards the top. And that was, uh, I'm going to quote here 
from one of the people they were interviewing. He says, video games have changed the course of human evolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember what this was in the context of, Rhett? How, how did he believe that video games had changed the course of human evolution? Because people were now getting together because of their experiences on video, you know, playing video games via the internet or even in a group. And then they were getting married and having children. That's right. So, so because of video games, people met and then they had children. And because of the, these unions and the children produced by these unions, video games have changed the course (laughs) of human evolution. One of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard. Uh, As of if, course that you know, that <laughs> just changed human anatomy or, you know, yes. any of that. Yeah, this is not a human that was born from these unions. And certainly before gaming, there was no way for people to meet each other, nope. fall in love, get married, and have babies. Um, it, it, once again, it, it's such an outlandish, ridiculous statement that was made. Um, I, the, the things that I was thinking about was, wow, has the, this person obviously has never counseled with couples whose marriages are on the rocks. People that have been married for years and years who are at the brink of divorce because the husband's addicted to video games. Yes. You know, um, I've had those conversations, you know, and I've, or or the, uh, the decimation in homes, you know, because of the addiction to video games in, in, in the lives of children or, or the father in the home. I mean, it, such a mess, you know, so it doesn't really even calculate, but it, once again, I don't believe in evolution, and uh, but even if I did, even if I was a secular humanist who was atheistic and tried to explain away uh, creation by coming up with these half-baked ideas like evolution, uh, even if I was a person who believed in evolution, I I couldn't I couldn't uh, give this any credit because I actually know enough about the 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 religion and theory of evolution to know that that's this is not uh, even worth uh, including you know mm-hmm. in a documentary so that was you know he called them we have these new mating rituals yeah I that was ridiculous <laughs> so so you know and there were you know it went on to talk about just other relationships and and friendships it didn't really it didn't really even introduce the topic of the emergence of online uh, multiplayer games. You know, they just kind of dropped in, jumped into the subject without even talking about the emergence of it and how the internet uh, allowed, you know, people to start connecting uh, across distance to, to play games together. I, I was shocked. I'm like, wow, I'm not even an enthusiast. And they didn't really even introduce the subject at all. I think there's a lot, they were making a lot of assumptions that the people that were going to be watching this were just fans, you know. So the you know there were some there were some testimonies of, of relationships. Another one that was interesting was uh, a hardcore gamer who had a stroke mm-hmm. and ended up in the hospital. And then what was the what was the the, the human interest story there, Rhett? Well, his quote was, "Video games saved my life," and he you know he said. You know, when he was in the hospital, it was, who was it that came? It were the people that he, um, his friends from the video gaming culture, they came and then they brought him video games to play. And it was almost like he was attributing his um, 
uh, healing process to the fact that he was able to play video games. Uh, and then that that helped him as if there was no other thing involved in him uh, getting back to good health. Yeah. So once again, it was an anecdotal story. It, um, you know, it was supposed to be warm and touching, I guess, you know, but once again, it, it didn't really take into account uh, the things that you said, you know. So the uh, it jumped from that. It kept jumping from one thing to the next and one thing to the next without really once again digging into anything was what was you know what's what's the future of of gaming and so we got a little a little picture of something we've talked about here before which was the you know the oculus you know virtual reality headset this idea of even more interaction with the game more immersion you know, so for those who have not heard of the Oculus, it's the idea that you put the headset on and that's what you're viewing the video game. And as you turn your head, uh, er, you know, so wherever you look, that's where you're going to see. And because of the integration of a, of a w- w- we'd say 3D, it's not really 3D, it's it's virtual 3D um, maps, you know, in a, in a game where before they used to be, you know, you could either move your character across the screen or you could go up the screen but you couldn't go, you know, you couldn't go through. There's no depth. And as the technology increased, they were able to bring in this this uh, virtual 3D element. And now that's where where things are going. And they, they jump from this right into how wonderful this is for children. <laughs> you know, this is all just so great for them. And, and how do we know it's great? Well, we had an interview with someone giving a, another little anecdotal story that is supposed to be convincing of how this was great because this was the story we learned. We learned, and this is an adult man, a video game, uh, probably producer or someone that's involved in the industry, was talking about how great this was because he talked with a girl who was six years old and had learned about trebuchets from a video game that she was playing and and isn't isn't that so exciting that at 6 years old you can learn about a trebuchet whereas you know when i was growing up in school you know we had to learn read about those things in books how boring is that you know so that's why this is so great and another another industry guy went on talking about his 12 year old son and how much better this was for his developing mind you know because he has access to all of this interactive media that he didn't have access when his mind was developing. Of course, this completely disregards the, the a, a wealth of of research that's being done on uh, neuro in neuroscience on the developing brain of children, and so this is where it's almost scandalous, you know, to just give these rah rah opinions from people who have obviously not taken anything seriously uh, that has been written on the subject and and they completely avoid it mm-hmm. so you know go on to talk about just how you know for children well you know video games provide the space for learning how to fail safely and successfully mm-hmm. so yeah i thought that that was some those were some dangerous statements because you know, he said, uh, they, our culture, we have an obsession with getting things right the first time. And in video games, 
you can fail and learn while you're failing. And uh, it teaches you to not be afraid to try. But the problem with that is there are some things that you try one time and it is going to be a big problem for you, like death. (laughs) And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that video games are teaching is that, you know, we're somewhat immune to death. And unfortunately, that's not true in the physical sense. Yes, they uh, they talked about how to um, also you know you can learn how to problem solve, and the the idea of the idea of simulation that we can do things, practice things that we aren't that aren't safe in the mm-hmm. real world, or can we include in there that are not legal <laughs> in the real world, or that are not moral in the real world, yeah. or or are would be considered evil in the real world. Now this we're ramping up to some of the 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 more troubling sections of this of this documentary but it once again it went back into this gaming culture and I have a quote here from an enthusiast video game enthusiast to who said it's a borderline religious experience to stand in the middle of an esports stadium packed full of tens of thousands of players cheering for their favorite teams it's just awesome to see because it's easy to doubt that that kind of passion would actually manifest in a physical environment, and people would pay hundreds of dollars and travel thousands of miles to come and uh, to these events and watch people play video games. So that's from a, a man named Mark Merrill talking about uh, video game competitions, and then they had some more just once again rah rah, uh, you know, enthusiasts. One of them, this was a uh, Cliff uh, Blazinski. Uh, an industry guy, and he talked about video games. That it, it, he's just just evangelizing games overall, and also uh, ev- to evangelize the career. <laughs> you know, to help convince kids this is a great career to be in. The uh, Nolan Bushnell, which do you remember who he is, Rhett? Yeah, he was the inventor of the Atari, wasn't he? Yep. So co-founder of Atari. Here's another. Uh, no disrespect to, to him. Uh, I, I don't know if he, he might be a thoughtful guy otherwise. But when he made this statement that they included in the documentary, I, it was a fist palm to the, you know, <laughs> or a palm to the forehead moment where, you know, he says it's clearly a culture where everybody's having fun. Everybody's got a smile on their face. They're living their life in a very, very powerful way. <laughs> yep. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, that's just not true. It's blatantly not true. Yes. So so these were the things that just made the whole documentary unbelievable. Well, <laughs> which gets to the point that part of video games and what we'll be talking about here and what they did talk about is is the suspension of dis- of disbelief. <laughs> so... So maybe they're, you know, wanting us to suspend our disbelief in their documentary. So, Rhett, I just realized that, man, we, we still have a lot more to, to pick on in this documentary. And, and I also want to make some, I have some things I really want to share that tie into the second half of this documentary from a, from a spiritual perspective. And I, you know, we're already at probably close to an hour in this podcast, so I suggest that we uh, we stop here and uh, take this into a part two. And for our podcast listeners, you won't have to wait a month because we're just going to go ahead and pause our recording and uh, get back to this. Finish finish this talk about uh, this this video games documentary, 
and then post uh, a, a subsequent podcast uh, to this one so that we can continue on. You've been listening to the Media Talk 101 podcast. Visit mediatalk101.org for helpful articles, videos, and other resources. Click on the audio tab to get a free download of Philip's audiobook, What Wouldn't Jesus Do? Media Choices in the Light of Following Christ. And if you haven't seen our award-winning documentary, Captivated, Finding Freedom in a Media Captive Culture, be sure to order your copy today. Parents Television Council calls it deft and powerful, and numerous moms, dads, and pastors say it's a must-watch for every Christian family and church. If you have a question or a topic you would like to have discussed on this program, please send an email to podcast at mediatalk101.org. Thank you.